to Talkie Talk podcast for the media by us. Joining me today is Brant. Hello. Hello. We got Chris. Hey. We have TJ. Uh-huh. I feel like I should redo Brent. Yours wasn't dramatic enough. Hello. So uh, we're going to talk about what we've been uh, watching the past week, uh, maybe anything we've been playing, possibly discuss some uh, film news, and uh, talk about what's been what's going to come out in your streaming movie theater at home for the following week. So that being said, anyone want to care about what they've been watching? I'll go. Oh, beat you. Tygo should I'll I'll be quick. I watched a couple of 2020 movies that I, I want to talk about, and that uh, not really in depth, but I, I watched the uh, uh, the movie Emma, which came out earlier this year. Um, directed by Autumn DeWild, uh, starring Anya Taylor Joy as the Austin character Emma. Um. It was uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's cute. It's uh, I, I would recommend it. It's got a it's got a good um, sort of whimsical, fun tone to it, and uh, yeah, it's 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 funnier than I expected it to be. It's just that I would recommend uh, having some subtitles on that work really well because there's a lot of British whispering, <laughs> and British whispering is hard to understand for my Georgia-born ears. <laughs> but yeah, that got really good. I think it got pretty good reviews right before uh, the quarantine started. That's one of the things that went from theater to uh, in home pretty quick, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I know they they were kind of in a bad spot because it was kind of getting some good word of mouth, and then everything shut down. And they, I know they got some bad publicity because they tried to make it twenty dollars to rent at home for like the period when it would have been in the theater and uh, basically people just, you know, obviously hated that. Um, but I think it, it's, it was a short lived controversy, but uh, I feel like Mr. Woodhouse is a fantastic character for Bill Nighy to play on screen. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really have any experience with the story other than I know it's what clueless is based on, but uh Bill Nye is great in it. The uh, it's really a, a good cast and a cast of largely unknowns uh, for me. I mean, Mia Goth, I, I recognized her from Suspiria. She's in love too. She's got a pretty big role in that show, and I think she was in Nymphomaniac, which was, but she was in it. Yeah, Miranda Hart's really funny, and she's, uh, I think she's in, like, Call the Midwife, um, and, yeah, it's, and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is, is very good in the, in the lead role. Um, probably not anything you'd expect to hear about come awards time, unless it's for, you know, costume or set design, but do they still do set design? I forget which one which thing they got rid of. Production design is what they have now. Right. Um but uh, you know, it's if if you if you run across it, it's uh, I found it to be fairly delightful. Sweet. Um, also watched a, a sequel that came out. Uh, I don't know a month or two ago. It's uh, to all the boys. P.S. I still love you. I saw that. The sequel to all the boys I've loved before. Um, I did not like this movie very much. I thought it was. Uh, I thought you know the first movie had. Uh, had a lot of uh, charm and a lot, pretty good momentum. It was a pretty good, like really well-paced movie. And it was something that I was, I wanted to spend more time with. And then I watched, you know, what they gave me in terms of more time. And I was regretful. Um, I just, it just did not work to the same level for me. And it was uh, fairly, fairly boring. I just kept, kind of shrugging at everything that happened asking who really cares but it was uh it was disappointing because i like the first movie a lot yeah I would you like, i feel like sorry we can get tj's take too but i just wanted to ask um did the first movie not kind of finish telling the story like like what is what is the sequel hook 
I mean, it, it did finish telling the story, in my opinion. That's part of why the movie struggled so much, I think. And for me, it was from the get-go. I did watch it back-to-back uh, about a month ago. But I loved the first one and was immediately bored with the uh, second one. Yeah, so the the concept is there was like one letter that she never heard back from. She never really – there was never any ramification from one of the letters in the first movie. And uh, that is the the basis for the second movie. And that's just not really all that compelling. It's just – I mean, yeah, I, I get that, that teenagers can be – teenage relationships can be, you know um, – fragile things and they don't always last and they're they're you know breeding grounds for drama but it's i liked the ending of the first movie i really liked the way it concluded things and i I was really surprised that and i know it's based on a book series and the books had sequels as well and from what i've heard or what i've read a lot of people who were familiar with the book said the second book is the worst and then things are good in the third book which they are presumably making a third movie as well. It just never struck me when I watched the movie that this was the kind of thing that would breed multiple sequels. But yeah. Yeah. At this point, do, I also, do not recommend. also really like the first one. I've been, uh, you know, the second one's been in the queue for when I just need something cute and uplifting and a little disappointing that it's kind of boring. Maybe it'll be good uh, background noise to... Uh, cook to or to do laundry to or something yeah it'd be fine be fine for that i would think yeah i really like lana condor um she's kind of made uh uh used that as as a a good launching point for her career i mean the i know that she was in x-men apocalypse what was kind of a throwaway role but you know all the roles were throwaway roles in that movie (laughs) (laughs) that's true um what was she in Apocalypse? Jubilee. Hmm. Is that one of his four helpers? No, she's no. she. It's the it's the Asian American chick with the yellow jacket and the big pink glasses. Really, really like she's in the mall, and then she's in the car coming back from the mall, and then she's not in the movie anymore. Okay, she but, she runs away with Cyclops and Phoenix, part of that Wolverine group. Yeah, she was she was probably supposed to if that franchise didn't like fucking seppuku, um, would probably have been developed into uh, a bigger character. Um, but you're right. Um, they to all the boys always and forever. Lara Jean is already in post production. Yeah. Cool. Well, third book's better. We're all looking forward to another swat at the sequel. (laughs) I just want more of the ambiguously handsome Noah Centineo. (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah. Well, did you uh, watch anything else, Brent? Uh, No, that's it for me. All right. TJ, did you want to go next? Sure, I watched. Uh, I'm gonna try to start watching a, like a classic a week now that we've got HBO Max rolling and the library so big there. Um, and I really won't talk about them too much on the podcast, but I'll mention them shortly anyway. I watched uh, or rewatched this week uh, John Huston's The Maltese Falcon, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid. Um, I think I gave it four and a half stars on Letterbox. It's really good. Uh, Humphrey Bogart's great. Um, Peter Laurie's Peter Laurie. If you I've ever seen him act before. He talks the same in every movie. <laughs> just like that. Kind of uh, and it's, yeah. Um, and yeah, if you want like a detective mystery thriller, uh, it's probably one of the best out there. So that was fun. And then I watched some new movies. Uh, one that I'd never heard of. I think I'd, I'd mentioned it to Brent and he had heard of it. And I'm sure... Uh, one or both of you boys have as well, but it was the uh, John McLean 2015 Western uh, Slow West. Oh yeah, I uh, I've seen that. Yeah, it was really really good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it like it came out so quietly a couple of years ago, but it's got like Michael Fassbender and uh, is it Ben Mendelsohn's in it? Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn's fantastic in it. I mean, yeah. 
yeah, he was really, really good. Uh, probably only has about 15 minutes of screen time. Um, but the movie's only like 80 minutes long. So, um, I mean, but I remember it being, it's a very like uh, confident and stylish movie. Oh, I told Brent it broke the it, it broke the Coen Brothers scale. It's the most Coen <laughs> Brothers movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's not even the Coen Brothers. Um, yeah, very stylish, very just gorgeous. The uh, it's like landscapes uh, of the Wild West are done really, really well, um, and it's a just a really good kind of devastating story. Um, but I would highly recommend that. It's streaming on Netflix right now. Uh, also watched a 2020 movie that we recommended last week. Uh, and I watched it this morning, but I watched the vast of night, uh, which is the directorial debut from Andrew Patterson starring Sierra McCormick, who you may know as one of the smart kids on the original, are you smarter than a fifth grader? (laughs) (laughs) And some guy named Jake Horowitz, who was really good. Um, that's pretty much everybody that's in this movie. There are other actors, but nobody that would be close to central. And uh, it's told in real time. It's 89 minutes long, set in the 50s, and done as like a fake Twilight Zone episode. The movie is. Um, it was really good. Uh, I haven't put it on Letterboxd yet, but I'll probably four-star it, I'm feeling. But I do know what the some of the reviews were saying it seemed like a very, uh, it reminded them of like early Coen brothers or early Chris Nolan, which are fantastic directors who made debut movies that were notable, but not incredible. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, and I totally see that in this, uh, it's a story that we've probably heard. He finds a way to change it up enough. Um, to keep you interested and then tells it in a way that I've never seen. So that's something. Nice. Um, I was trying to uh, cram that one in before the podcast. I was going to watch it this morning, but overslept. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to check that out also because it's getting great reviews right now. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I mean, tons of uh, tracking shots and, and stuff like that, that, don't feel pushed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can tell this, this guy should be behind a camera. Um, cool. It's kind of nice with the, uh, you know, it's hard to say that there's a silver lining to the coronavirus right now, but one side effect of a bunch of uh, movies clearing or clearing theaters is it's giving a lot of lanes for these uh, debuts. Like I, I recommended blow the man down, which was also a debut film last week and it sounds like this one's also really good you know don't know if we'd really hear about these if other movies were in theaters kind of taking up space yeah yeah um yeah i I really don't want to give too much else away about about the movie but it's also really short and streaming on prime now it's amazon studios movie um so definitely check it out when you have an hour and a half It it was a lot of fun thanks um, I also watched uh, a few of the episodes of the new Netflix original series, The Space Force. Uh, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's great. Oh, good. I was so worried. The first review I saw was like <clears throat> basically titled like The Problem with How Unfunny Space Force Is. Okay. It's definitely funny. Okay. It is a little... It struggles with tone a little bit. It doesn't fully commit like full slapstick comedy. Um, there are some moments where they want you to, I think, kind of respect some characters. And it, I don't really know why that's in there. But it's also a 20-minute sitcom. Like, if they fuck it up, it's not like you, they wasted two hours of your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was scared to start it well not scared I'm a grown man but the review I saw was like uh, Space Force fails to launch I think people were just ready with some pithy uh, pithy puns in reviews yeah maybe it's just I I don't know why 
I mean, it's got like a 46 on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 7 out of 10 on IMDb. So I don't know, like, what the weird – like, is this what, what people always were talking about when they say that, like, the American public doesn't get certain comedies? Like, is this one of them? Yeah, I mean – I don't know. I don't. I don't know why. Like, I think maybe what some of the reviews that I were reading that were negative were suggesting was that it. I don't think they liked that it didn't make fun of the current administration directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that because it comes out of the the Trump comment about having a, a the space force. I think so. Oh, probably. I like- found out while I was watching this. We actually have a space force. <laughs> it's a real thing. It already exists. There's somebody in charge of it. I thought it was just some shit he made up. But yeah, if, you go to, if you go to the Wikipedia page, it's like the sixth and newest branch. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> have a Space Force? Um, yeah, but, but I think, I mean, most of it's just like how ludicrous the whole idea is and putting somebody with a military background in charge of something like this and how it fails mm-hmm. um, and how it succeeds sometimes. Uh because he's not just a scientist. Um, I don't know. I mean, Steve Carell's great. John Malkovich is fantastic, I think. Um, who's kind of uh, the head scientist for Space Force. It's pretty much the, the two of them uh, and then a bunch of kind of minor supporting characters. Um, Deanna Silvers plays Steve Carell's daughter. She was in Booksmart. Yeah. Um, the girl that she tries to hook up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget what else she was in. She was in something else I've seen recently. Oh, she was the lead in Ma, Chris. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would recommend Space Force for sure, especially since it's 25 minute episodes and there's only 10 of them. It's not gonna, not gonna hurt you to give it a watch. Maybe it's a goofy kind of farce <clears throat> type show with, Steve Carell and John Malkovich hamming it up. I mean, that's pretty good use of 25 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's this whole thing where they launch a satellite in the first episode and they, it, it gets dismantled by a bigger, cooler Chinese satellite, like immediately. <laughs> and uh, Steve Carell, there's a monkey and a dog on board the U.S. satellite. And Steve Carell is convinced that the monkey can go use a drill and spacewalk and reattach the solar panels to the satellite. And that's like a 10 minute bit. And it totally works for me. Like it's fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would definitely check it out. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it for, I watched like six episodes yesterday while I was cleaning and they were great. Nice. But that's all I watched this week. I can go, uh, I can go next. I don't have a ton. Um, also, uh, well, I think, uh, something that I did that lasted several hours, um, movie related was started scrolling through HBO max. It was its own kind of event looking through all of the, uh, all of the little categories they have and, uh, looking through all of the TCM movies, all the studio Ghibli's then, you know, why not going a through C every single movie that's in the entire library just because um, now you know how an Oracle gets built for a guy like Frank. <laughs> yeah. It's like right after I finished, okay, that's the last movie, you know, Z finished my Z movies. Now I had a list that had over hundreds of movies in it, maybe a hundred or so. And I was uh, wondering now, what do I do? <laughs> um, so that's, well, uh, that, that's been pretty exciting is, is starting to uh, like TJ, like looking at the classic movies there and some blind spots that I could really fill is uh, pretty cool. So I did that. I just took a random spin on one. I watched uh, the great dictator, uh, Charlie Chaplin's, well, you know, Nazi satire movie. Well, it's like a Hitler satire before he knew they were like as evil as they were. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was like before they found concentration camps. 
Yeah. At one point, he says, uh, like, Commander Schultz and uh, the, the Jewish barber chaplain play is like, they're going to put us in the concentration camp. And they show them, like, just going for walks. And he's getting mail and, like, writing letters. It's like, oh, you don't you do not understand what a concentration camp is. <laughs> he's just got, like, an iron ball around his ankle. It's like, that is not what it is. Um, yeah. Besides that and the, uh, you know, the mix of tone that it does. Because it does some pretty, uh, you know, there are people gunned down in the streets in the middle of a Chaplin movie. And there's uh, some serious war type scenes that are filmed there. Like the Jewish ghettos get purged, I guess, with the hindsight of uh, you know, what we know now. It's almost more more uh, meaningful than it probably was back in the day. But uh, despite that, uh, it's a uh, movie's a delight. It's still funny and it's uh, very clever. And I think it was the first time. Chaplin did a uh, a talkie, so it is yeah, a talkie it, talk, not a silenty silent. Yeah, it was his first go at that. Yeah, he's he's a uh, uh, really really good at it. It, it turns out. <laughs> oh, that guy's talented. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's got great verbal wit and uh, the uh, very clever dialogue, and he he really goes for it as a as the Hitler stand-in, Adenoid Hinkle. Um. And he does a, uh, is a very famous, I didn't really know that much about it, very famous final speech calling for peace and unity that's uh, still touching. It's very inspirational. Um, I recommend it. Uh, just look up that video because it's, uh, look up that speech. It's very, uh, very moving. Cool. Yeah, I'll check the movie out. I'll put it on my list for, for this week. Yep. And then the only other thing I watched um, in terms of movies was I started uh, taking advantage of the Studio Ghibli library on HBO Max since it's never really been whole streaming before as a complete collection. So I started at the the first Miyazaki movie, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which I've never seen before. Yeah, I watched that also. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, I I had like a little bit of work that I needed to do uh, like Wednesday evening. And uh, so I told Kelly, like, because we're going to go through the, the Ghibli stuff. So I told her, like, let's start with one that I've seen before, and then we can, like, just move forward. Uh, it is definitely, if you're familiar with modern Miyazaki, it is definitely different. Yeah. Yeah. Something I noted in a Letterboxd review, because I think it was his first, uh, well, his first movie was a loop in the third movie, which is not Studio Ghibli. But you could definitely tell this was probably inspired by violent, popular anime of the time, like the the Ninja Scrolls and the, the Ghosts in the Shells later, because it's got a very uh, I don't know. There's gunfire and blood, and you know people being dismembered and stuff. Things you don't really see in Ponyo. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean that's kind of the whole thing with Miyazaki. Like Katie, I think had messaged me because she was worried you were busy, Chris, and asked like where she should start. Because she's never seen a Miyazaki movie. She's like, what's like the quintessential Miyazaki movie? And I mean, I feel like the easy answer is spirited away. But at the same time, I was like, Katie, I've seen like five and they're all fucking totally different. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I feel like I would I would know where to start with recommendations. But like, it would be like a, a handful of like places to start. Like, My Neighbor Totoro is the perfect tone of Miyazaki movies like you watch My Neighbor Totoro you kind of get like his more uh his movies that are more geared towards children um but like you can't watch My Neighbor Totoro and then watch like Nausicaa because those two movies are like diametrically opposed right um and Nausicaa David to your point was based on manga um that was I don't know who written by but you know I think that they had this guy who was, um, you know, who made a successful Lupin third movie and they were like, well, let's get him to, to adapt this other manga. And I mean, I, I still really like Nasca. I think it's great. I mean, yeah, I think it's, the, it's, uh, it, it's insane. How, how many, uh, how many seeds of what he was going to do later on are, are planted here, even though he's kind of adapting someone else's work. Like, do yeah. you definitely get the wonder of the elements, water, earth, air, flying, and just his obsession with creatures and little objects? Um, 
and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's insanely meticulously crafted. Even if the the main characters are sometimes blocky and simple, the environments they're in is like insanely detailed. Oh yeah, I mean the whole like the the depiction of the ecosystem of the toxic jungle and like what lies above and below it is just so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I I really like also, and I think it's a very Miyazaki thing is that. There are so many times where it just takes a like takes a pause to breathe and let you just like listen to the ambient sounds that they've created for the space that you're currently in and just like let like I feel like some an- animated movies will kind of just move past these like backgrounds because you know they're putting together a storyboard from a bunch of different shots but like there really is a like, all right, now like pay attention to this hand painted background. It's beautiful. It was meticulously drawn. And you just like, you just do. And so it helps a movie like Nausicaa, which is like not cute by any stretch of the imagination. Like, you know, there's maybe one character who's endearing at all. And like the dialogue's really cheesy, probably translation issues, but like it's a movie that is, that excels because of its tone and its uh, ability to kind of let you live in the setting, I think. Yeah, it does a really good balance. Uh, that's very well said, of letting you breathe and then putting you in sensory overload, <laughs> like not just what you're watching, but the the sound design is uh, is very, very, uh, f- I don't know, full and very unique sounds and individual sounds for wind whipping through a glider if it's uh you know going through the jungle versus going through the air versus going through the poison clouds like it's it's all different and having those those times to breathe is really helpful especially because there's a um very complicated mythology that (laughs) that takes place before the movie even starts and then it gets more complicated with you know multinational intrigue and war and subterfuge yeah, when they, I mean, it's not as simple as like Avatar, The Last Airbender, where like you've got the Fire Nation, the Air Nation, the Water Nation, and the uh, Earth Nation, right? Like that's really easy to understand. But like once once you're like 45 minutes to an hour into the movie and they introduce like a third kingdom, you're just like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> and like they're, they're talking about like a fourth kingdom already. And it's like this came from nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got a, a question that's kind of adjacent to this that, and since I have David and Chris in one place, um, is his son, like, did he quit again? Miyazaki's son? I don't know. Okay. Because I know he, like, didn't want to be in the business at all, and then he made two movies that were really good. <laughs> yeah. And that was, like, 12 years ago. Um I- I was just curious if there was any news on that that I didn't know about. I mean, I think I think that it's that it's it's related somewhat to the uh, rumored and then supposed retirement of Hayao Miyazaki, um, because I know that that Miyazaki did retire for like a period of like five six years, and then he came back and said like, "Oh, I have more stories to tell," and that was like his only reason for coming back which is insane because his reason for leaving was like, I'm burnt out. If I keep doing this, I will die. Well, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I was reading about uh, how do you live is the one that's been coming out for like four years now. Yeah. And uh, he, like the most recent quote from him is like, he's hoping 2022. He's been in production of that movie for four years. He said he's, he's, it feels like he's about 30% done. (laughs) And uh, he said, when I was younger, I could do, what was the quote? I had it somewhere earlier. Is it the three minutes of animation a month thing? Yeah, but he said now that he's old, he's down to about one minute a month. Mm. Um, and he refuses to change. And fuck, he shouldn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's just crazy that it's taken him that long. I hope it's good. It's going to suck if it's shitty. <laughs> it'd be horrible. Yeah. At the very least, it'd be great if he gets to complete it. Um even if not, you know, it'll, it'll get passed on to someone who's going to treat it with care. Um, I'll see it either way. 
if it's bad or if it's good. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Nausicaa of the flint of the Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind is very interesting and I think very compelling, especially if you're trying to do the whole Miyazaki arc. Uh, next up for me, I think it's Castle in the Wind. Mm-hmm. Um, also, haven't seen that one, so looking forward to that one. All the early stuff I haven't seen. Like I still haven't seen My Neighbor Totoro before. Yeah, it's that's like. There's part of me that that wants to kind of go through the Studio Ghibli stuff on uh, on HBO Max like ASAP because I'm worried that at any moment G Kids is going to be like, nope, fuck your shit, we're taking this um, because they've they've been the holdup um, for any of this to be streaming anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is a, a gift that I'm going to treat as uh, maybe expiring. At some point, I, I I just doubt that they're gonna like let this stuff be available forever. Yeah. Brent, was it me and you talking about Grave of the Fireflies being maybe like essential Miyazaki? Yeah, I've, I've always heard it. As, it's just as, it's not Miyazaki. I, I, oh, no, no, I meant was. I meant uh, essential like Studio Ghibli or Ghibli. Oh well, that whole conversation we had was confusing. Then we were talking <laughs> about two different things. <laughs> So that's on you, Brent. <laughs> uh, besides that, I've only seen reality stuff, and maybe we can dip into that after uh, after we're done our watch list. But that's it for me. Well, then I think we're done our watch list because uh, you know I I can talk about Survivor season one and three, which I'm rewatching right now. But we have podcasts dedicated to talking about those. If you want to hear in depth thoughts about uh, past seasons of Survivor, go there. Maybe if I start watching enough Survivor, I'll get invited to one. Um, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> the other thing I watched is a movie that uh, TJ talked about before, um, Vivarium, <clears throat> the uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Imogen Poots, Imogen Potts movie. No one, did you no, talk? No one knows how to say it. I think I did, but uh, I don't remember, so I doubt anybody else does. <laughs> Um, it's the thriller about a young couple who is looking at houses in suburbia and then gets lost in a housing community and are the only ones there and can't escape and then get a package delivered to their door uh, that says on it, uh, raise the boy and be released. And they have this like really creepy kid who grows up really fast. Um, they have to, uh, take care of and, uh, rear into adulthood um, so yeah so it's it's kind of freaky um, it's alright um, I didn't love it I didn't hate it um, it's really like bleak um, and, I, and I wish I wouldn't have watched it um, <laughs> during, during the quarantine because it's all about you know a young couple who is stuck uh, in their home and can't go anywhere and don't have any of you know, the comforts of, you know, social interaction. So that's a bummer to watch now. Um, but. <clears throat> it was wild. Yeah, it is. It is wild. It, they, they took a shot. <laughs> it, it is a really effective drip of mystery. So if that's what you want from something, then it's, it's, it does that job really well. Um, but as like a cohesive um, story from start to finish, um, cohesive is the wrong word because it, it, it is, you know, stitched together well, but, um, as far as it being anything more than what it obviously is, there's, there's no real substance below the kind of the outer crust. Um, but interesting. Um, it's good to see that, uh, that, you know, there's still people making wild, fucking one-off low-budget sci-fi-ish thriller-ish movies um but i don't know i think i gave it three and a half stars and i think that's a half star too generous yeah at least the, i mean the premise sounds interesting yeah i mean it's also really fun because you get two characters who act the way you would act like Within, like, they get stuck in this community, and within, like, 
minutes of them being stuck in this like seemingly repeating like Mandelbrot fractal. Um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg just goes, we're just going to follow the sun straight line. Like I had had that thought like seconds before and they, they act really rationally up to a point, which is like really effective. Um, kind of, uh, you, you really empathize with their uh, choices and their uh, emotions kind of going through the whole thing. So it doesn't make them overly dumb for plot reasons. Right. Yeah, no. But that's what I watched and, you know, Nausicaa. So I, I got nothing else on the list. Um, just playing, not really having time to play games. So yeah, that's me. Cool. That's me. That's you. Well, before going to the next segment, maybe we can uh, talk about ways you can help the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast through your podcatcher of choice, now including Spotify. Um, also helps if you write a review for us. Max, points please. We deserve it. Um, you can also check out everything we're doing on our Facebook page, uh, The Media By Us. And we have Facebook groups dedicated to different interests, Movies By Us, TV By Us, and Games By Us. And if you want to tweet, tweet with us, we are at the media by us. And if you want to jeet with us at our Gmail. <laughs> It'll catch. It'll catch on. You want to go mail with us? We're uh, the media by us at gmail.com. So appreciate your help. Um, so that being said, any reality roundup uh, anybody wants to catch up on? Uh, y'all, y'all feel free to talk about the challenge, but I'm behind. I've not been watching for the past two weeks. Uh, I was going to get caught up today. Yeah, we um, uh, we are not caught up on Top Chef, uh, but we watched the last episode of the challenge, and it wasn't that exciting of an episode of the challenge. Yeah. Other yeah, Cass is – I've been asking Cass how it's been going, and she says it's been kind of like a slow downward <laughs> from the beginning of the season uh, yeah. with, a few, with a few spikes here and there. Like <clears> – <throat> I don't know. I feel like when you had Jay beating, taking CT out, that's just so hard to continue. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, um, tough to top. Yeah. Uh, probably my, uh, um, I mean, the past three weeks, you've gotten some big competitors getting upset, um, which has been fun. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. The thing with with, uh, with Tori and Jordan both gone, there's almost a conflict gap that they're just filling with uh, some minor squabbles that get the edit. That it's a huge thing. Yeah, the the, the Jenna thing is really kind of like I, I I don't know I don't know how to feel about it. I, I feel like they're over dramatizing her personal life in a way that's kind of gross. Um, I know that, that the Zach thing is like, I mean, fuck, like you don't have to be like a whiz kid to figure out that like they get back together, like just follow one of them on Instagram. And like, so it's just this like red herring plot that almost makes me think that MTV contacted Zach and they were like, Hey, if you video call with her, like, you know, and cause some conflicts, like we'll give your video call some screen time and pay you out a little too. Yeah, I've I'm not been enjoying any of the Jenna stuff just because it's so icky to watch that kind of toxic manipulation going on. Right. It's pretty fucked up that it's getting so much airtime. Yeah, I mean, and especially because she's like just you know, it's not my relationship, so I can't opine on like how real or how to deal with these issues, but she looks like she's being gaslit and like Brent for context, a former competitor and current competitor uh, are in a long-term relationship. The uh, former competitor, Zach uh, went through the current competitor's phone while she was away on like at the challenge and found text messages from when they were broken up with a guy and is now like telling her like when you come home your stuff will be packed and like you need to come home right now you need to quit the competition so we can deal with this 
Yikes. Yeah. That is some dark shit. Yeah, it's it's really, really gross. And MTV is kind of spending a lot of time to like devoted to it. Yeah, but spoiler alert, I guess the time they're spending is over with uh, her being gone. Yeah. yeah. And at the <laughs> I just cannot believe that what this final is gonna be. <laughs> with Anisa punching her ticket and you know it's essentially Anisa, all rookies and you know, D and Jenny are going to run it, and Nelson's there. It's it, it's going to be the craziest yeah. assortment of uh, knuckleheads. There may not be any fan favorites on there, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. I mean, it's you know. it's going to be a bunch yeah, of people like who don't down understand the, how hard the, it is to run. Yeah, the. Uh, I just like. Reading the uh, cast list is just a, it's such a funny assortment of names. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It reads kind of like a Saturday Night Live skit. So like, who's going to be there? Anissa, Bananas, Bailey, D, Fessy, Casey. This is funny. Yeah, Fessy's my favorite new name. I think he's from Big Brother. Swaggy C, Bear. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. They'll all be there. It'll be interesting. I mean, they keep promising on the, you know, each week's next week on the challenge that Bananas and Wes do something. So hopefully they actually do something because people are going to start running out of opportunities for Red Skulls to make the final. I think some people are just going to run out of time and just get eliminated by default. Hopefully now is the mad dash. There's a ton of people still in the game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, cool. Any other reality roundups? No. Um, I, d- I did want to mention one thing, and uh, it's it's kind of something that no one has really ventured into. Um, and a really sad note. So I'm not doing it in Breezy. I'm doing it now so we can have something else on the end cap. Um, but uh, I have been a fan of Terrace House, which is like a reality show. It's been picked up by Netflix. It's kind of um, like real world, but actual real world um, in Japan. Um, you know, not really as manufactured drama. Um, but this past week, uh, one of the contestants, not contestants, because they're not competing for anything. One of the housemates uh, just killed herself. Um, most likely in response to online bullying related to an incident that happened on the show. Um, but it really sucks. Um, and, the, and talking about the challenge makes me think about just how fucking awful some and toxic some internet communities can be. Um, but yeah, Hana Kimura was a uh, like up and coming wrestler also. Um, she had moved from her like local circuit from uh, in Japan and gotten promoted and picked by NXT, which is like the next step before you kind of hit the majors um, is, has got like, you know, a big broadcast showing uh, for like a weekday and yeah, it's just a real bummer. Um, But you know, it is what it is. Toxic communities kind of infect with their tendrils, you know, people that you think are bulletproof. Um, But yeah. Yeah, man, that's, Shitty. Yeah. I hadn't seen Terrace House. I've been meaning to catch up with it, and then I didn't know about her wrestling career. I just saw the news article. It said it may spur Japan to start uh, revising some cyberbullying legislature to yeah. protect people a little better. So, yeah, hopefully I'm some good will come of it. Yeah. yeah. All right. I guess that's the end of reality roundup. It's the end of talkie talk. <laughs> Anyone got any uh, film news or film TV game news? Well, I do think it's uh, I do think the HBO Max rollout was interesting this week. Uh, it's I think it was met with a lot of disappointment relative to expectations for most people. Now, I think the one area where HBO Max really did come through as a success was in its library for people 
kind of like us, like people who really are interested in old movies because I think it's Warner who killed Filmstruck a couple of years ago. And I think that's uh, where a lot of this catalog comes from. This was the old Filmstruck library. And it's, uh, I think it's packaged on there as Turner Classic Movies presents uh, these movies, but it's, uh, I think that's where, that's this is probably one of the best streaming apps uh, for cinephiles. Um, but it was kind of a mess in pretty much every other respect. I mean, the, the app seems to function pretty well, but, um, yeah, I, I didn't love the app. I kind of am a little frustrated by the way that it brackets off collections. Um, yeah. like, you know, it's especially weird to me. I know that they're preparing for the launch of like the new, um, uh, the new Looney Tunes show, but like you click on Looney Tunes and there's five titles. Like why does it get its own vertical? Um, but other than that, like on the PS4 and all of this with a caveat, it is going to get better. They are going to improve it. This is like AT&T, Time Warner, HBO money. Like they were making like television shows like with billion dollar dragons. Like this is going to be fine. Um, but I, I think the functionality uh, has a lot of room for improvement. I can see that. I, 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 when I said it works fine, I guess I, I wasn't talking about the design, which is the thing that I've been, I, I've heard a lot of complaints about and I can see it because um, you, you have to scroll down. You know, I've seen a lot of comparisons to the Disney plus design, which is uh, you know, you get there on the Disney plus homepage and it's, it's been, it's compared to like walking into a theme park. You have all your different sections right, right. there, top of the page. And HBO, you have to scroll down to get to that because at the top, it's just like, here are our featured things, which are the, I, I don't know. I don't think that's optimal for most users to, you know, to try to, it's like, hey, do you want to watch uh, this? You want to watch the OC? One thing if you I don't, do like, then scroll down. The one thing I do like, it has a more prominently featured continue watching thing, which Disney Plus has a real problem with. At least yeah, how we watch on PS4. I've, I've enjoyed that. Uh, I cast from my phone or tablet, and it's the same way. It's right at the top if you're in the middle of something, which has been nice. Yeah, we also um, we've we've been watching Adventure Time, and a, a problem with the app is that uh, HBO clearly doesn't know what to do with a show that is 11 to 12 minutes long. So sometimes in like in the last like three minutes of the episode, it'll start doing like the playing next episode in 10 nice. time. And it's like, there's still two minutes left in the show. And it's like, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, so there's like, there's some, there's some kinks that need to be worked out, but I, I do like, I think that when they have their max originals ready, that top block of featured is going to be uh, like actually useful because like when Disney plus launched and it had like, was able to put like the Mandalorian front and center. It's like, oh, well, fuck yeah. Like that's what everyone's coming to this for right now. And I feel like most people don't, I mean, I scroll streaming sites for sure, but I kind of do it for the activity and not because I'm actively searching for something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people now use services like Just Watch or, I mean, even Google tells you now if you find the movie and then I just go and look for the movie. I mean, Netflix, like if you're like, if I was searching for a movie on Netflix without typing it in, it'd be fucking horrible. This shit's just a disaster. Yeah. So I don't think that matters a, a whole lot. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Well, Brent, we sidelined your your HBO Max train. Uh, uh, I, just, wanna, I just want to chime in, Brent, and kind of back bring it back to what you were talking about. Uh, I got a message from Comcast telling me I would not be receiving HBO Max because I'm not an HBO subscriber. And I got a text message from AT&T, my wireless people, saying that I would qualify for HBO Max for free. And then I didn't through AT&T when I tried, and I did through Comcast when I tried. <laughs> so nobody knows what the fuck is going on. Yeah, it's It's been a very confusing rollout. It's, uh, I, you know, what we talked about the last time on the podcast uh, that – we, we even guessed that they surely would have something worked out with Amazon and Roku by the time it launched. That's not been the case. In fact, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of optimism on the Amazon front for anytime soon. And uh, it might be a while for Roku as well. But uh, just beyond that, it's just a lot of people not exactly sure. A, a lot of 
pre-existing customers just aren't sure. Like, I, I don't think they're entirely sure what this is. I think they just thought they were getting it as this was going to be the H, the new HBO Go. That's the other issue is they already were, they already had HBO Go, HBO Now, this is HBO Max. People don't really know the differences between them. And it's uh, it's well, probably there, there, why the numbers were so low. Yeah, there was no difference between HBO Go and HBO Now. I mean, not in functionality. Right. And, uh, yeah, now it's just I finally went around and deleted HBO Go and off every device I had because um, like, you don't need it anymore. Yeah, it was interesting. When I downloaded the app for HBO Max for the PS4, it, like, downloaded, and then the little pop-up that appears when something finishes downloading – it goes, HBO Max has finished downloading, and the icon was HBO Go. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, this feels much more like a Warner AT&T thing than an HBO thing, because you compare to, like, a few years ago when the HBO uh, CEO, he, he said that he just wants people watching HBO. He wants, that's the number one goal share your password. He doesn't care. He wants people to be talking about HBO and watching things. And he wants it to be like the place to be. It's and it's a smart stance. Yeah. And if they want 50 million users in the next three or four years, you know, accessibility is the most important thing for that. And instead now it's become more about kind of, you know, the money and they're, they're haggling with, with Roku and Amazon over, over the money. And I think the issue is that both Amazon and Roku want uh, to collect some money from users who sign up for HBO through their app. And HBO, or rather AT&T, calling themselves HBO, wants, um, wants this to be a standalone app now, like a, just a Netflix, you know, competitor. And right. I think that... I mean, that's fine if that's the route you want to go, if it is just about the, you know. And it's weird, right? Because they're making it available for free to so many people. Yeah. Like, it's obvious that that's their goal, I think. Um, but they're fucking it up real bad. <laughs> Still, it's about. And I did see some some people saying that, like, this is what, this this is, this kind of falls in line with AT&T's history of, of rolling out things like, like U-verse uh, and um, other other attempts to, like, have a direct TV uh, streaming app and uh, an AT&T streaming app. It's just. And it's like having two months of experience with AT&T TV and internet. They need to stick to phones. They do phones fine. <laughs> yeah. But I think that now uh, these aren't official numbers. It's it, just uh, an estimate that uh, some website compiled, but. Uh, you know, uh, when Disney plus launched, they had 4 million downloads of the app when Quibi launched like two months ago or whenever that was, they had, what was it? 300,000 and, uh, HBO, uh, on its first day had 90,000, which I wonder if that counts people like me though, who I woke up that day and HBO max was on my phone and HBO now was not there anymore. I wonder I wonder if that counts that because I'm sure that happened to a lot of people, you know, it's probably counting new subscribers, like new, new downloads for, so not people that had HBO now already. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, then that's a little bit different. That's apples and oranges. Not really, but it's close. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it's, 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 but like the opposite would be the same as saying that like, U2 has the number one selling album of all time because one day they decided it would be a good idea to sneak that U2 album on everyone's phone. Right. So it's, it's hard to decide how you report. Like you, I don't know. I'm saying, convert. yeah, it, yeah. I'm saying the HBO now app automatically converted to HBO max overnight. Right. Um, which is weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it was it was a bizarre rollout. Me and Brett had like an hour long conversation where we didn't really talk about anything else, and that was the yeah. day before it dropped. So it's been met with a lot of criticism, which is a shame because 
like it's I said, good, I'm, it's a good library. Yeah. I love the content. This yeah. would be if I could if I could have this on my television. This would be <laughs> the thing I would be watching most right now. Yeah, messaging for the real life is just so confusing. I was debating the fifteen bucks a month, like adding another service before just trying to download it and realizing, oh, I have it because I have HBO. That was not clear, at least to me, at all until I just like downloaded it and didn't have to pay anything. Yeah, no. They've also been very vague about like technolo- the technological end and like how they might advance there, which is you know Netflix has 4K streaming uh, available. It's it's at a higher price. Disney Plus has 4K just built in. If they if they have it in 4K, you get it. Uh, Amazon has all, all their original content in 4K, and I think 4K is uh, I think pricier. I think you have to rent 4K things that aren't Amazon originals, but at least it's there. And I think when HBO was asked about it, they just said, eh, well, that's a thing we'd like to do one day. Uh, which is, you know, for customers who really care about that, and that's going to be a small slice of the market. But that's, it's, it's also like, it's a sign of kind of how on top of the industry they are, I think. Which is, um, going forward five years from now, more people are going to care about that. Right. I wonder if the rollout for this is essentially a sign of sign of uh, how this is going to go in the future. If it's kind of easier back in the day when Netflix launches and no one really understands the importance of streaming rights. But I think now companies have things so protected and property relationships are so like intertwined between distribution and who made it and the channel and cable providers understand that this is a serious threat and it's a ton of money. Like everyone kind of knows now more so that it's harder to launch. Like it totally makes sense. Comcast holding out for more money because you know, it's a cable replacer or it's something that they need to get in on. I wonder if it's going to just get harder and harder because everyone's protecting their interests a lot more. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it was it's bizarre. It's weird, but I'm having fun watching shit on there. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm blown um, away by the movie movie catalog. Yeah, the classic film content is ridiculous. Uh, I think one of y'all probably I think it was Brent said like between that and Criterion, we're like set for a long time. <laughs> um, a couple of little, little quick notes that won't really earn discussion, but uh probably my number 11 movie of the year last year. It was just out of my top 10, just at Netflix. And it's just bizarre enough and was buzzworthy enough that I want to remind people it's there if they didn't get a chance to go see it in theaters, but uncut gems just hit Netflix and y'all should check that out. And so yeah. should you, if you're listening, uh, and then like two hour long panic attack, I think that's what I'm in the it is. for right now. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what the movie is. Uh, and then since 75% of us like list, uh, Quentin Tarantino, who also likes List, has started uh, kind of releasing in snippets his top 10 films of the decade. Um, and he uh, pretty much revealed, he said the top two spots were pretty easy. Number one was The Social Network for him. And number two was Dunkirk. Um, and he'll re- reveal the rest of the top 10 later. Yeah, I heard Quentin Tarantino do a, uh, you guys ever listen to the Rewatchables Ringer uh, yeah, Al, Al kind of recommends episode-specific uh, things for, for The Ringer and Rewatchables, and yeah. I'll listen then. Some of them are better than others, but Quentin Tarantino's on the Dunkirk one and uh, makes really compelling case for it. I know it was, it was in whatever of 2017. Yeah. Top three or whatever. I don't know if I'd have it that high, but I'm also trying to winnow down my 2010s list. Uh, yeah, it's kind of been like months in the making for me. Right, right. Well, cool. Anybody got any other breezy? Nope, don't think so. We got some movies hitting VOD this weekend. Y'all want to hear about them? I'd yes. love to. Um, whoops. There we go. Uh, we got a movie called Dreamland coming out. Uh, produced and starring Margot Robbie. 
It is a period piece, uh, romantic uh, kind of action movie about uh, depression era bank robbers. Um, directed by Miles Joris Perafit uh, in their debut. Uh, it premiered at Tribeca last April. Uh, you also got a movie called Judy and Punch coming out, directed by Mira Folks, starring Mia Wazikowski. Uh, they're puppeteers in England uh, with a baby daughter are attempting to bring their marionette show back into the public eye. Uh, it is a described as a very black comedy. Uh, you got a movie called Shirley uh, featuring Elizabeth Moss playing Shirley Jackson, the old author, uh, famous for a short story. I think she wrote The Lottery, probably her biggest known work. Um, but it follows a young couple uh, that moves in with Shirley Jackson uh, and her husband uh, in the hopes of starting a new life. Instead, they find themselves fodder for a psycho drama that inspires Jackson's next major novel. Uh, and then you also got the movie uh, Becky. Anybody heard of the movie Becky? Yes, Escape. Is it the wait? Is that the skateboarding movie? No. Okay. <laughs> there's Sorry a looks. there's an HBO Max show called Becky. I think also. It looks like the. Oh, that's not The Big Show. I thought it was The Big Show. But that's Kevin James. Yeah, Kevin James plays a psychopath who escapes from prison and uh, is torturing Joel McHale and his family. And Joel McHale's daughter, uh, played by Lulu Wilson, is a kind of psychopath teenage girl who ends up torturing and kind of having revenge on these escaped inmates. Uh Kevin James, Joel McHale, it is, I've seen the trailer. It is nowhere near a comedy. It is a horror movie featuring Kevin James and Joel McHale, which looks uh, bizarre. It was also released at Tribeca, um, or it was supposed to be released at Tribeca this year, but uh, wasn't. So it's getting a straight to VOD release, uh, but it looks fucking weird. Yeah. I wonder if uh, Kevin James is trying to have his Vince Vaughn in Cell Block and or Brawl and Cell Block, Block 44, whatever that movie is. Have that I, watched kind of the, I watched the trailer before we started recording, and he kind of got a little ripped for it. I mean, he's not, like, super cut, but he's not hes not King of Queens fat. He's fat strong. Yeah. Um, but you have four options this week. Uh, I'm super intrigued by Becky and will almost certainly watch it, but uh, uh, I'm going to take Shirley, I think, is my pick. Yeah, I'm doing Shirley too. I think it it did Sundance. Sundance happened kind of right before quarantine, and was one of the uh, the buzziest films there. I always love some Elizabeth Moss and got yeah, some pretty won, good reviews. It won the Auteur Filmmaking Award. Auteur. Auteur. I'm going with uh, Shirley as well. It's just one of the movies that I've been hearing about all year, and you know, it's 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 one that was obviously going to be checked out by me at some point. So yeah. Michael Stolbart, by the way, is the, the, the co-lead there and Logan Lerman hmm. and Odessa Young are the other two. It kind of reminds me of uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf a little bit, like the plot synopsis. Hmm. Well, cool. Well, you guys can watch that. I'm going to pick Judy and punch uh, for the only reason that I want to, um, continue the streak of uh, directorial debuts. Um, and this is uh, Mira Folks's directorial debut uh, with Judy and Punch. Um, so, yeah, I'm picking that. Sweet. So check out Judy and Punch or Shirley. And really just Becky anyway, but I think that was a given. Yeah. I was hoping when you started talking about Dreamland that Margot Robbie was in the live-action feature of Kirby. Oh my god, dude! There were like fifteen fucking movies called Dreamland that have come out in the past ten years. It was so hard to find the right one. It was so annoying. I think one came out five years ago. Is on Netflix, but I thought they were. I thought you were talking about it first. Yeah. No, I've not heard of this movie at all. To be a Margaret Robbie lead, I feel like it should have had a little more buzz. Yeah. Well, yeah. Interesting slate. Yeah. Anybody else got anything? Nope. I think that's it. Uh, we already told you how you could help us. How about we give thanks to our musician buddies? 
Thank you to the Willow Walkers for the intro. And thank you to Boo Rifa for the outro. Thanks, Boo Rifa. Man, your, your mic gates that sound in really crazy ways. Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> little little Bonnie Vare over here. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, just want to say thanks to you guys. Thanks for uh, talking the talk. Yeah, we'll see y'all next week. Thanks yep. for walking the walk, David. <laughs> Kicking rocks. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Down old dusty roads. Bye. 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 Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.